Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Amen. Let's stand together for the reading of the word. Amen. We appreciate the hard work, not only that our worship team puts into um, providing us songs that will lead us into the presence of God, but also um, for Brother Misael Diaz, Brother Alex Kessler, both of them and uh, that work on providing sound quality. And it's a challenge in this room and also for those watching online. And we understand that we've had some uh, technical issues the past couple services and really we encountered those in an endeavor to improve our video and audio quality. We've got a number of people, uh, refuge members, uh, as well as other people uh, in the area and out of state that watch these services, and we want to try to improve that, that quality, that experience for them. People, some of them that cannot come and be with us in person, but that are watching online, and we are doing our best uh, to provide uh, a quality viewing experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, I want to encourage you before we begin reading that you all just take a big, deep breath in and a controlled exhale. Because what we're about to read might be a little troubling. But we're going to get through this, and I believe that God's going to speak to his church tonight. Somebody say amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You all have fair warning now. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, and my spirit there with you, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven or yeast leavens the whole lump of dough? Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in, in an epistle or letter not to company with fornicators. Don't keep company with fornicators. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. He says, I'm not talking about the fornicators or the sinners in the world, otherwise you would have to be 
completely out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, extorter, extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Verse 12, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judge God, but them that are without God judges. Therefore put away from among yourselves the that wicked person. Put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Wow. All right. Here we go. We're going to talk about um, here we find basically Paul stating to essentially put out, to excommunicate, to disfellowship someone that is among them. And we're going to talk about this form of church correction. So let's pray. Please don't, please don't tune me out tonight. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us from this chapter of 1 Corinthians and I believe that when it's all said and done, this church is going to be strengthened. This church is going to be encouraged because of what God has for you and I. So let's pray that God would give us an ear to hear what the Spirit will say to the church. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you, Lord. This is the day you've made. Lord, we're so glad that we were able to come together in this place to worship you, to sing, to give, to pray. And Lord, now we come to the place in this service where we will study your word. I'm so thankful for my church family that I have the privilege of feeding the word of God. I'm asking that you will lead me by your spirit just as you led me to this text to teach from for this evening's service. I ask that your spirit would lead me, let your word be in my mouth, and let our ears be open to hear the word of the Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Big trouble in Corinth. Maybe that's what we'll title this message. Big trouble in Corinth. That's what Paul was dealing with when he wrote this first letter to the Corinthian church. Let me give you a little bit of background about this place, about this church. Corinth was a city. It was an ancient city of Greece. And in many ways, it was one of the most prominent, one of the most well-known Greek metro areas of Paul's time. So maybe just put into context here in North America, just think of a, a prominent big metro area, a big city that a lot of people know about. That was kind of like what Corinth was. And like many prosperous cities of the world that we have in today, Corinth was intellectual. They were also arrogant. They were materially affluent. There was rich, they were rich, but yet they were completely morally corrupt, bankrupt, if you will. Sin of every kind. Flourish 
in this notoriously sensual city. A place where paganism thrived and people went after whatever made them feel good. Now along with Priscilla and Aquila, along with other believers, Paul, he planted a church in Corinth. He went to the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. He took three. On his second missionary journey, he went to the city of Corinth. He spent 18 months, a year and a half, in this city to plant a church in this major metro area. The church, while it had some Jewish believers, most of the church family was made up of people that came out of paganism. They had no knowledge, no background of Judaism, of the law, of the Old Testament. They came out of pure paganism. They worshiped idols and false gods. Now after he spent that 18 months and shortly after he left, there was a variety of problems that started coming up in this church plant, this young church. And it required apostolic authority and teaching by written correspondence and personal visits. You see, reports, reports had reached Paul. Paul left this area. Now he was on his third missionary journey and he spent three years in the city of Ephesus. And while he was in Ephesus, he heard about problems that were going on in Corinth. Big problems in Corinth. After some more time, there were actually some representatives that came from the church in Corinth. So it wasn't just like news that traveled, a letter that traveled, but they even sent some church members that went to Paul personally and told him about the problems. They delivered a letter to him and they asked, they requested instruction on a variety of issues. And, re and in response to the reports and to the letter from the Corinthian church, Paul wrote this first letter, 1 Corinthians. You could see it in kind of the opening of certain chapters. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It starts out by saying, it is reported commonly. I've heard a lot about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. There's that letter that he received, and he's writing in response. In chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Now as touching things offered unto idols. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Chapter 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints. So you see how in these opening uh, verses of each chapter, he is basically writing in response to what he heard and to what he read about the big problems in Corinth. Paul had two primary purposes in mind when he penned this letter, 1 Corinthians. The first one is to reprove and correct the serious problems in the Corinthian church that had been reported and news got back to him about. And the major problem that was going on is that these disorders or dysfunctions that were in this church family, the church kind of took them lightly. Eh, you know, it's no big deal. But Paul's like, hey, this is serious. These, this is a problem. This is a serious sin. So his first order of business is to reprove and to correct. His second order of business 
is to provide counsel and instruction on a variety of questions that they had. They were questions about doctrine. They were questions about how they conduct worship services all together and just the overall purity of the church. And so when Paul wrote of these problems, it's important for us to understand and acknowledge that these are the kind of problems, when you read this book, these are the kind of problems that a church, any church, not just that church, any church could experience these kind of problems when they choose to remain carnal. Carnal, when, when you read in the scriptures about the members of the church being carnal, what it's referring to is basically born-again believers that have been baptized, filled with the Spirit, that choose, that make the choice to live after their old manner of lifestyle, even though they have been empowered by the Spirit of God in the name of the Lord. So any church where you have members that choose to remain carnal, they'll experience these kind of problems. And we find that if they do not, if church members do not take radical action to bring separation and distance between their new life and their old life, problems like the following will arise. We find these problems listed in 1 Corinthians. Divisiveness. There was, there was issues between the church family. Tolerance of sin, like the one we read about that involved incest or overall sexual immorality in general, or there was even problems that's listed in chapter 6 where church members were suing one another. They were taking each other to court. Or humanistic thinking about apostolic truth, or the things listed in chapter 8 and chapter 10 were conflicts over Christian liberty, basically that said, you know, we're under grace, you know, God loves us no matter what, so we can just kind of do what we want. Doesn't matter who it offends, doesn't matter what brother it hurts. Paul also instructs the Corinthians about matters relating to marriage. We find him teaching about marriage, public worship, including the taking of communion and the offering that was to be received for the saints that were in Jerusalem. Now, one of the issues that Paul dealt with, one of the big problems in Corinth, is what we read about in chapter 5. Let's look at that. If you have your Bibles, Keep them open as we go through these verses together, and I, I do believe that God's going to help us tonight. Chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. What that is saying when it says it is reported commonly, what he's saying is this is beyond just one person making an accusation. This is not simply hearsay. This isn't rumors. This is not simply gossip. It is commonly reported. It is a verified issue. This is an issue, like Paul said in other places, that came by the mouth of two and even three witnesses that reported this going on. He says, this type of fornication that I'm dealing with here in this part of the letter is a type of fornication, watch this, that's not even named among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. 
He said, you know what you came out of. Paganism. These Gentiles. The non-believing Gentiles, they would be disgusted at what you did. They would be embarrassed at what's going on in the church. About a man that's living in sexual sin with his father's wife. Chapter two or chapter five, verse two. Now watch this. And you are puffed up. You're puffed up. Paul called them out because they were haughty and not holy. They were lifted up in pride. Now I do not necessarily believe that what this means is that they were proud of what was being done or what was done. They were, they were not, I don't believe that they were proud of that sin, but rather that they were proud in spite of the sin. That their pride was so great that they didn't even want to address, deal with, or acknowledge the major problem that was in the Corinthian church because of pride. Does anyone know, maybe you've known someone, surely not yourself, that because of pride, they acted as though something that was completely embarrassing didn't even happen. It's like, you know, the person that, you know, is walking with a little bit of swag and they trip on a crack in the sidewalk and they about bite it, and they get up and act like nothing even happened. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That never happened in high school, right? Trying to go up the stairs and you fall going up the stairs. You get up and like, ah. It says, in spite of what's going on, in, in spite of a sin that you should be absolutely embarrassed of, you're acting as though business as usual, no big deal. And because that you are puffed up with pride, you have not mourned or repented or grieved because of the sin. You see, the right action would have been that there would have been common repentance at the news of this uncommon sin. That this person that had done this deed, Paul says, he should have been taken away from among you, called out, dealt with this sin. You see, sin does not need to remain. Therefore, the person who chooses to remain in open sin needs to be confronted. And understand that when we avoid this confrontation, it never ends well. When we avoid preaching against sin, it will not end well. Dealing with sin, whether corporately as a church or individually as a person, when we choose to avoid confronting that conflict of sin in our lives, it will not end well. Much like my message last Thursday about 
train wreck. There's a set of rails that if we are not careful, we could get onto that will mean tragedy. So what Paul tells them here is to disfellowship. Stay with me now. Disfellowship. Excommunicate. Call it out. Address it. And tell him he's got to go. Now, let me say this before I go any further. In seven years as a daughter work, daughter work pastor, in the last ten years as a self-governing church, I could think of only one time off the top of my head that I told someone. I didn't even tell them they couldn't come back. I just told them that we are not going to pick them up anymore. This individual caused issues on, this has been many years ago. You could try to figure out who it is. I doubt you'll know. Most of you probably never even met the individual. But this individual caused severe problems that I, didn't, I was not aware of until later. This individual was literally the cause of people who came on the church van to stop coming altogether. That was a problem. I dealt with it said that it had to change. Fast forward a year later, I find out it hasn't changed. I said, listen, you're welcome to come, but we ain't getting you a ride there. But of all the years, I, I've not come to a place where I said, you know what, you can't come to church here anymore. But that is what the Apostle Paul was saying that this spirit-filled church should remove this person from fellowship. First of all, let me acknowledge this. Being in fellowship with the body of Christ is a privilege and not a right. A lesson that my driver's ed teacher taught us and hammered into our skulls was that driving and having a driver's license is a privilege and not a right. Meaning that it could be taken away. And to basically value it as a privilege. I believe that it would do us well to remember that being a part of the church, that gathering together with the church family, that having sisters and brothers in the kingdom and in the body of Christ is a rich privilege that we should not take for granted. It is not some right that it matters not what we do or how we do it or what we say or how we live, that somehow we could always count on the the fact that the church will be there and they better be there for me because I have a right to fellowship. No, not according to God's word. It's a privilege. And is anybody thankful for the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ? You see, I didn't, I didn't then and I don't now. I don't deserve it, but it's by the name, it's by the blood, it's by the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ that we can have fellowship with the body of Christ. Someone thank God for that right now. Praise God. Verse 3. 
1 Corinthians 5, verse 3, it says, and I'll read these three verses together. I'll read them twice, once in the King James and then in the Living. Follow along with me if you have your Bibles open. For verily, as absent in body, he's speaking of himself. I'm not there in person, but I'm there in spirit. I've already judged the matter as though I were there in person concerning him that has done this. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you do gather together, my spirit will be there with you, Paul says, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Let me read in the Living Bible. It says, although I'm not there with you, I've been thinking a lot about this. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have already decided what to do. Just as though I were there with you. You are to call a meeting of the church. And the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet. Why do you think he said that? I'll tell you why. Because there is a certain sense of intimidation that comes with the spirit of belligerent, disobedient sin. There is a spirit, there is, a, there is an aura of intimidation that will try to provoke and intimidate the church into this fear that says we can't deal with it. Maybe, maybe, maybe this individual was an influential person in the church. Maybe this person was a big tithe payer. Maybe this person had position in the community or in the city. Maybe this person was related to a lot of people in the church. And there was this attitude of intimidation that came with this individual who committed this kind of crime, this kind of sin against the Lord. And that is why Paul would say, say, listen, the power of the Lord is there with you. I'm there with you in spirit. But listen, even greater than me, you're going to do this in the name of the Lord and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to deal this with this and you're not going to deal with it alone. Somebody say amen. Now let's listen on, listen on. He says, the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet and I will be there in spirit. And cast out this man from the fellowship of the church and into Satan's hands to punish him in the hope that his soul will be saved when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Delivered unto Satan by the church. Paul tells the church to deliver this person over to Satan from the church. I've got to ask, was, was this like common practice in the first century church? You know, is this just kind of how they operated? And maybe we've got a little bit of a disconnect in the 21st century church. What's, what's going on? Now, we do find by specific mention one other time and it is guess who did it the apostle paul the apostle paul he speaks of this in first timothy chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. i'm going to read from the living bible it says cling tightly to your faith in christ and always keep your conscience clear doing what you know is right for some people you know who those are right some people have disobeyed their consciences 
and have deliberately done what they knew was wrong. It isn't surprising that soon they lost their faith in Christ after defying God like that. They've deliberately disobeyed their conscience and done what they knew was wrong. Now watch this, verse 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples of this. Now watch this. I, Paul says, had to give them over to Satan to punish them until they could learn not to bring shame to the name of Christ. Bear with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. What is the purpose of such a drastic action? What is the purpose of this drastic action that Paul told the church to take? Number one, it was the salvation of the offender's soul. Mind you that the driving primary purpose of disfellowshipping someone and turning them over to Satan, the primary purpose is so that the individual might be saved. It's not so they could be lost. It's not so they, they, they could somehow go out there and, and be forgotten about. No, the primary purpose is so that their soul might be saved after they experience problems or physical suffering, that they then might repent and ultimately be saved. Now, the second, the secondary purpose of such a drastic action to tell someone, you need to go, you can't come here anymore. The secondary purpose is for the purity of the body of Christ. Mind you, it's God's church. He purchased it with his own blood. It's important to him. And how many thinks that God cares about how pure his body is? He cares about his body, his church. And lest we forget, this is not our church. This is not our congregation. This is not our people. Yes, I'm thankful to be a part of it, but we always need to remember that this is God's first. This is his church, his people, and he wants his church to be pure. He says at this point, he compares it, he says, purge out the old yeast or the leaven, those sinful influences that are among you. So why? So that God might be, so that God might make you like a new piece of bread that is sincere and honest so that the name of Christ, remember what name we're carrying, church. I'm not talking about the refuge. We are carrying the name of Jesus Christ. And it is up to how we operate as a church family to keep that name above reproach. Again, stay with me. In his second letter to the same church, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to notice how Paul speaks of the correction that he gave in his first letter to the Corinthians. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. Paul is speaking about what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe. He says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. This action, though it is not popular to speak of, can speak powerful things to us tonight if we allow it to and do not close our ears to it. Paul says, as their spiritual father, when I wrote those words to you in 1 Corinthians 5, 
I wrote it with tears. I wrote it and I felt anguish. I was tore up over it. It was not easy for me to write to you about that. It was difficult. There's a, there's a moment early on as a pastor here in Rock Island that I had a renewed sense of appreciation for the pastor I grew up under mostly, and that was Pastor Terry Cox. When I had to confront sin for the first time or the first few times and, and talk to someone or preach about sin and preach against sin from the pulpit or talk to someone personally about something that was wrong in their life, that was going to lead them down the wrong path, I remember how difficult it was and how new that, that pain and that anguish I felt and I travailed over it in prayer. And it made me remember the time that my pastor cared enough about my soul to sit me down and talk to me about a relationship I was involved with as a teenager that he saw as not being spiritually productive for my life. And he advised me to get out of the relationship and to leave it all together. And I remember Brother Joe and I can, in the moment, I, I, I didn't have the understanding. I was confused. I was a little bit offended, a little bit hurt. But now as a pastor, it's kind of like when you have your first child and you have a sense of appreciation, a deep appreciation for your parents. Because it's almost like you instantly realize that every decision that they made, every call that they made, everything that they did for you, if you had a parent that loved you, that corrected you, that instructed you, that helped you, that brought you along, you have all of a sudden this sense of appreciation for your parent when you become a parent. You see, Paul was not writing this in 1 Corinthians 5 because he wanted to kill their fun or he wanted to come down hard of, on them and he enjoyed tearing them up and dividing them. No, it's because he loved them. And he knew the pain that it would cause them. Now watch this. Paul, and I'm coming to a close, next five minutes. Paul told the church, hear me now, Paul told the church to deliver the man to Satan. Stay with me. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1 that two individuals I personally delivered over to Satan. Now to be delivered unto the power of Satan, do you know what that means? That to be in the church you must be delivered from the power of Satan. That's exactly what Acts 26 verse 18 says. When Paul is giving his testimony before King Agrippa, he said that that heavenly vision told me I was going to go to the Gentiles so that I could see their eyes opened up and turn them from the power of darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. He says that the preaching of the gospel has the power and the ability to deliver someone out of the hand and the power of Satan unto God. You ought to thank God that if you're in the church, if you've got the name, the blood, and the spirit, you've been delivered from the power of Satan. You see, Paul could not write to Corinth, and Paul could not have delivered those two individuals mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1 under the power of Satan if they had not been delivered from the power of Satan. 
All that Paul was saying is when you deliver someone over to the power of Satan is you're sending them out from under the protection that's found in the church of the living God. Oh, praise God. And we could see, we could see the significance of this in the book of Job. For in Job chapter 1 verse 9, Satan was questioned by God in his presence. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Job fears you for naught. Verse 10, hast not thou made an hedge about him around his house? On every side, you've blessed his hands, the work of his hands. Everything that he has is increased in the land. Watch this now. But Satan says to God, put forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to your face. And after Satan got his wish and, and Job's, all of his livestock is gone, his riches are impacted, his children are gone, and still we find that Job maintains his integrity. He comes back again in chapter 2, and the Lord tells Satan, Has you, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and hates evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although you move me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his own life. So put your hand forth now, touch his bone, and touch his flesh, and he'll curse you to his face. You see, the devil would like to place a bet. He would like to make a wager on the table of eternity against you. And say, listen, if you were delivered into Satan's desires and over to his power, then you'll curse God and die. But God has a plan. Listen, God has a plan and a purpose even for Satan in your salvation. Oh, someone hear me tonight. Somebody hear me tonight. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If the princes and the powers of the earth knew what would happen when they had their way and crucified the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary, they would have not done it but they didn't know. <laughs> I said they didn't know. They didn't know that what they meant for evil would work for good. They didn't know. Listen, that's what Paul was saying when he said, listen, it'd be better for the man and for the church for you to say, you know what, I'm going to cut you off for a season and you're going to feel what it's like to be out from the umbrella and the protection of God upon his church. Why? Because when you are cast into the hand of Satan, he'll have his way with you. But God's got purpose for Satan in your salvation. He wants you saved. He knows that when Satan has his ways and Satan gets his fingers in it, he'll mess you up. He'll put you in a pig pen. He'll put you in a famine and a storm. But watch out. God's got purpose for Satan in your salvation. He knows that Satan, he doesn't know better. Satan, he's, 
He's betting against you. And he thinks that if he'll tear you up, he'll tear up your life. You'll bow your knee. You'll curse God and die. But God says, I know you better, child of mine. I know you better, child of mine. If Satan has his way, it will cause you to run like you've never run to God. It will cause you to be saved though your flesh might perish. Praise God. Let's stand together for a moment. You don't have to believe me. Believe the word of God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Listen carefully. I read from the Living Bible. It says, remember that man that I wrote to you about who caused all that trouble? Remember that guy in 1 Corinthians 5 that caused all that trouble? And has not caused sorrow to me as much as to all the rest of you? Though I certainly have my share in it too. I don't want to be harder on him than I should. He's been punished enough by your united disapproval. When you came together as a church should and you shown your disapproval of his lifestyle or of his sin, now it is time to forgive him and comfort him. Otherwise, he may become so bitter and discouraged that he won't be able to recover. Please show him now that you still do love him very much. This man caught in gross sin. Oh, but we find that when the church united together and was willing to preach against sin, it caused a man to bow his knees in repentance and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, now, now it's time to go ahead and open your arms and welcome him and embrace him and restore such an one. Like he said in Galatians 6.1, restore him in the spirit of meekness. We do ourselves no favors when we choose to sweep sin under the rug. We do ourselves no favors when we choose to turn a blind eye to sin. Not for the church and not for us as individuals. But when we declare, thus says the Lord, and we recognize that, you know what, there might be sin in the house. But it ain't going to be there for long. Because we've got to deal with it. This message, I know, was given to me by the Lord. And I promise you that in my, my flesh, in my, in my mind, my human mind, I wanted to teach or preach something about anything but sin. But I know that the Lord directed me to this because he wants his church to find the strength and the encouragement that we could only have when we are as we should be before the Lord. Why don't you lift your hands all across this place. Pray with me right now. Let's ask the Lord to help us receive it and to, to know how to apply it personally in each of our lives. Lord, we thank you Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Your truth does not seek to find favor with man, but rather it preaches for the favor of man. It preaches for the good of man. I thank you, Lord, for your word that instructs us in how to deal with sin, whether personally or as a church family. I pray that you would help us to grow by these instructions, grow by these teachings. And Lord, we are reminded tonight that fellowship with the body of Christ is a privilege, not merely a right. It's a privilege to be in the family of God. It's a privilege 
to be delivered from the power of Satan and under the protection of God, you put a hedge around us. You cause the work of our hands to be blessed and our substance to multiply. And Lord, we're thankful for the times when I or we need correction and you allow us to get a little taste of what it's like to be out from under your umbrella. Satan doesn't know it, but his plans for a backslider will actually work for the salvation of the soul of that backslider. Lord, we have family, we have loved ones, we have people that have been born again here at the Refuge Church that have walked away from you. And Lord, I believe with all my heart that as they are delivered under the power of Satan, that it will work for the salvation of their souls. Lord, we thank you for this lesson tonight and we ask you to help us to live by its principles. Somebody say in Jesus' name.